Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. All right. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I'm your host, John Schofield. Joining me tonight is Bill Wagner of the Capital Gazette and the Baltimore Sun newspapers. And Chris Cervello is our producer and joining us for his commentary as well. This is your post-game report from a really gutsy effort, yet something that didn't come through against SMU. Wags, I'm going to kick it to you really quick before we get into the other results of the weekend. I know that you and EK are going to break it down in, in exactly what happened, and I want Chris Cervello's thoughts as well. But I'll tell you what, if ever you want a moral victory, if ever you want a tough loss, if ever you want to walk away from a football game knowing that your team has turned it around and, and they're on an upward trajectory, this one kind of seemed like it. But Ken Niamatololo would tell you that there are no moral victories in this business, and moral victories sometimes get your ass fired. How nervous should we be or how excited should we be about a loss that definitely could have been a win, a loss that was a cover and an over, by the way, Chris Cervello, but yet again a loss and something that puts us behind the power curve. Wags? Well, I'm not quite as optimistic as you coming off of that game I thought it was overall disappointing and I expected Navy to carry the momentum of the great victory over Tulsa into this contest and you know early on neither side of the ball played well so Tulsa you know when Navy beat Tulsa 53 to 21 it was complimentary football with all three phases offense defense and special teams doing their job um that was not the case this past Friday night in Dallas, the offense had three drives into SMU territory They're on their first three possessions. They drove into SMU territory, came away with zero points. That harkens back to the first four games of the season when Navy could not finish drives. And so that was a poor start for the offense and the defense could not have gotten off to a worse start. The very first play of the game, a 68 yard catch and run by Rashi Rice. The last person who should be beating you is Rashi Rice. That guy should have been blanketed. He should be what they call bracketed with two defenders at all times. And the fact that he was able to catch a slant pass where no one was near him and just sprint right through the heart of the Navy defense and down the sideline for 68 yards was unbelievable. And now to the defense's credit, Two of the first three SMU drives, were they were held to field goals. So that's good that the defense rose up in the red zone. But in the end, the final numbers were poor. 40 points and you know, well over 400 yards of offense. It was the worst performance by the defense this season. And that's really disheartening because the defense, you thought you can always rely on the defense to keep you in the game. Well, that wasn't the case. And Ultimately, the Navy offense did get the job done, but the truth of the matter is it was 40 to 20 late in the fourth quarter. 
Navy scored two touchdowns in the final two and a half minutes of the game, and that made the final score a little more respectable. And it it, it wasn't as close as that. Um, now I do I am very happy to see the offense put up 500 yards, and we saw a lot of positives, and we'll talk about this with the guys on the post game report. But uh, there was there, the offense in at the end of the day did put up good numbers, but unfortunately it was a little too late, too little, too late, John. I, I, th- I thought Ty had a very good day. Again, our, our, our Navy quarterback has thrown the ball 21 times. He completed eight of those. He had two touchdown passes, but I never want to see a game again where the Navy quarterback is throwing at 21 times. So before the experts take it over, Chris, I'll give, I'll give you a shot. Give your assessment of what happened where the offense is, where it needs to be, and how we turn this around. Because I wouldn't call the rest of the schedule prohibitively tough. I would call the rest of the schedule an opportunity for us. Am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. Um, I So I watched it in real time and felt exactly the way Wags did. I was down. Um, you know, there were bright spots. Then I watched it again this, uh, this afternoon. Um, and... I, I kind of like what I saw. I, I mean, I, you know, it's a loss, right? And I mean, you, we saw, um, and if you haven't had a chance to see um, Kenny uh, in the post game, uh, there's nobody that is more upset about that loss than uh, Coach Nia Montalolo. So it, it's a loss. We should be upset. Wags and Eric are going to break down all the reasons that we should be upset. But I, I, I guess I look at it and I feel much better about the offense than I did at the beginning of the season. I saw a Notre Dame team lose to Stanford and didn't look that great. Um, I feel like, you know, we, we, if we can take, you know, a little bit of the, the pain and, and, and turn it into anger this week, we come back against Houston, you know, and win against Houston, win against Temple and, you know, get up for Notre Dame. And I guess I'm more optimistic this Sunday than maybe I have been after some of the other losses because I did like what I saw on offense. So, Chris, I'm with you. I have the same optimism. I watched it through a lens of, yes, a lot of backdoor scores at the end, a score that looked less representative of the blowout. But I am also heartened. So let's just freestyle. Let's just move right in to the Navy football podcast. And for those of you looking for updates on what else happened over the weekend, we're going to bring you that at the end. But Eric, why don't you come on in here? I know that you're busy changing diapers and hoping that the Guardians beat the Yankees like any, you know, America loving person wants is a Yankees loss. But from your perspective, is our optimism ill placed? I'm assuming Chris might be happy with, you know, the backdoor cover with uh, the two extra scores like that. But, you know, they covered what, nine seconds left. Um, you watched the, you know, the, the postgame conference with, with Ken. and I've never heard him say disappointing, I think, seven times in a matter of a minute and a half interview. Because um, it, it was disappointing. You know, we're all texting each other, you know, defense needs to start off hot. They need to start off well. And every game, they just give up a touchdown, a big touchdown. It kind of just makes that, you know, offensive coordinator, offensive players is, hey, you know, we now we need to score. Now we need to catch up. Now we need to get back here. So and it's tough. And, you know, we, we were playing well. And, you know, the fullback, uh, you know, fumbled. Uh, and it was, then it was, you know, a, a complete change of momentum uh, kind of after that I, I, I saw. 
that's kind of hard to, you know, cover, you know, maybe we're not that good. And, you know, coach Johnson said it, you know, he's talked about us. He's like, Hey, he's like, you know, you guys aren't that good to, you know, make those mistakes and make those, those turnovers. Um, Cause if you look at the, you know, Alabama Tennessee game, you know, that, that Tennessee was quarterback, full uh, quarterback, running back made a bad exchange and look what happened. Quick score seven, but they are a very, very good team as you can tell. And they turn that around and they're explosive. Uh, we are not. So it's, it's hard. Um, defense. I wish I could say they played well, but you know, SMU is not a good team. Their defense is not good. Their offense is, to me is not good. Their quarterback made us look super slow. Uh, eight is a good player. I don't think he's that good. You know, he's not Greg Ward that we played in, in the past. So it's uh it's gonna be a tough week for the coaches and the players to kind of say, Hey, we're, we're at this kind of this, this turning point, this pivot point, and you know, hopefully they could turn around. So we gave Eric off on the SMU preview because he was a new dad and did have a lot of fatherly duties. But now this Sunday, uh, Keenan Reynolds has some family commitments and cannot be with us. So we're going to go with Eric's uh, expertise on this one. Eric, you made a very good point about the defense. I think giving up the 68-yard pass and the early score sort of impacted Coach Niamatololo's decision-making. I did not agree with going for it on fourth and 10 because I do not believe that is Navy yardage situation. Um, but then he went for it again on fourth and three, which was a little more manageable. But did early on, do you we, think? We got, we got a good spot in that fourth and three too, by the way. Right. Well, I'm talking about in the first quarter. Oh, though, gotcha, gotcha. Yep, the yep. Two fourth down. I that's early to be going for it on fourth down. And the first one was from like the 46 yard line, which was, you know, if you don't make it, you're giving the SMU the ball at, at basically midfield. And again, fourth and 10 is just not Navy type situation, fourth and one, fourth and two, fourth and three. But do you think that coach Nehemiah sensed that the defense was going to give up a lot of points, which they did. And that is why he went for it early because he felt like you had to keep pace. Absolutely, you know it's a uh, it's, it's human nature, you know. And when, when uh you know when people get down and you know think about gamblers when they get down they try to catch it, you know they try to go big and, and catch that flush or catch that draw, you know. And um in Texas Hold'em try to catch that turn and we were not uh you know successful. Sometimes you know it, it, it's great, you know. Two games ago, <clears throat> we were playing like two games like. Two games ago, we were a different team, it looked like. Our offense was moving to halfback pass to quarterback. Some of the play calls were, you know, just different um, off the cuff, I would say. So, yeah, I, I went, you know, when defense scores like that, you know, because a touchdown like that, that easy. I know for me, a coach, especially, you know, with uh, you know, all the losses, it's going to be tough. So, Chris, as we dissect this more, you know, wh what do you think that the growth is? Now, I know we still add – you know, a couple of really questionable offensive possessions. Turnovers were still an issue. Surprisingly, this time, the defense was not as good as it used to be. It, it, expand on what Eric was talking about and how do we go from here? You mentioned that Houston and Temple are on the horizon and that we've got to turn frowns upside down here. What do we need to do in order to get this well, I mean, we've talked about it really the last two seasons. Um, they have not played complete games very often, right? I mean, you've seen a great quarter here, a great half there. Um, I mean, I think they need to play a full game on both sides of the ball. 
Right. So, I mean, if, uh, if, you know, and, and that's not giving up, you know, chunk yardage, it's, it's coming out and being ready. It, it, it's not being beat, um, you, you know, out of the second half. I mean, it's just all these little things. And so if they can play two full uh, halves uh, of both offense and defensive football, I, I think they can win. The, the problem is to Eric's point, they're not good enough to, to only play, you know, three quarters or, or, or two quarters or, you know, give up uh, penalties and, uh, you know, play undisciplined. They, they've got to play Navy football. Uh, and there's a reason that those teams, you, you know, that beat Army uh, 14 times in a row were so well known. It's because they did play Navy football. They did play four quarters. They did play discipline. So we got to get back to that. So talking about the defense, as well as the defense has played most of the season, the one problem that had been persistent was allowing big plays. And defensive coordinator Brian Newberry mentioned it himself. Almost every scoring drive that opponents had through four games was, you know, a big play, the result of a big play. And then, Eric, it happens again here. You 68-yard pass to start the game, very first play of the game. It's just unbelievable. But you mentioned Mordecai, who – you're right. He's not, you know, Keenan was the one that referenced Greg Ward because Keenan went against Greg Ward a couple of times. And that was the Houston quarterback who was so incredibly dynamic. And he ended up making the Philadelphia Eagles as a wide receiver. That's how athletic he was. And I no. thought Greg Ward was going to win the Heisman when like he, at the beginning of that year, he had just replaced a really athletic dude. And I was like, Greg Ward might be the best quarterback around. And yeah, EK is exactly right. Oh, he was legit. Greg Ward was legit. Um, but you, Tanner Mordecai with an RPO, and he fooled the entire defense. He kept it and ran left, and every single Navy defender practically was on the right-hand side of the field. And he, he, he went untouched 60 yards for a touchdown, and it can't happen. You cannot have Tanner Mordecai going 60 yards for a touchdown. But that's not – those aren't the only big plays. There was also a – 47-yard pass to Calvante Dixon. There was a 44-yard pass to Dylan Goffney. And then Jordan Curley took a bunch screen over on the sideline and went 33 yards for a touchdown. Just way too many big plays. Eric, your thought on, thoughts on why Navy is giving up so many big plays? Uh, I wish I could give you that answer, but it's been happening every you know week. And um, you know, if it's the coverage of, you know, they're not saying they want to match up athletically and not go man and then kind of do that soft zone. Um, you know, when I, when I played, I never really liked the defense that we, we drew up, you know, bend, don't break. Um, I get it, you know, cause you know, we don't want those big scores. Like we're getting hit now. And it was just kind of, you know, a slow roll, um, not made big plays, but, uh, you know, the, the game has changed so much since when I played to the coverages, to, the play calls to the fast paced tempo offense of every, every team we're going to play. Um, so this defense is going to have their hands full. And it seems like, uh, you know, I wouldn't say they're getting tired at that because these guys are, they're, 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 they fought to the last minute. Um, but, you know, they can't, offense needs to stay on the field longer and more consistently to give the defense a break. I know when I played and, you know, we went three and out, three and out, three and out. The defensive guys, they looked at us and looked at me like, like, like hey, what's going on here, man? I'm exhausted. You need to give us a little more time than this. So I, I have a feeling that's probably, you know, talking you know, amongst the players, 
Well, one thing I did want to mention about the defense and is kind of crucial to what happened against SMU. There were no turnovers and no quarterback pressures. So they Navy did not have any sacks of Tanner Mordecai, and they also had no QB hurries. And then there was no fumbles, forced fumbles or interceptions. So that is something that's a key element of defense. And Brian Newberry likes to get after guys. And I don't feel like he blitzed quite as much against SMU as he had been most of the season. It may be because the tape showed that Mordecai gets rid of the ball really fast. It looked to me like Navy played a lot of zone coverage, um, which, you know, Mordecai frankly picked apart. Um, I think there are issues with the pass defense, to be honest. I think they've been masked by the fact that Navy's been so good against the run and they put teams in obvious passing situations. And it's also been masked by the fact that Navy's been able to get after the quarterback and get a lot of sacks and QB hurries. And that did not happen in this game. And there were also no turnovers. So that that was a big factor I wanted to mention, John. No, I think it's a relevant point and obviously something we need to remedy as the worst hair in college football coaching in Dana Holderson and Houston, I'm a Colin next weekend. So Wags, let's turn the corner here really quick and talk about the important competitions that took place over the weekend involving stars. Let's start with soccer first. I'll tell you right now, I've got the same feeling about this one that I did about the men's match. And ironically, Wags, the result was exactly the same. The Navy women lost 2-0. They did not look in it. And now they find themselves sitting in sixth, although Colgate sits right behind them with a game in hand to go above them in the standings. And between them and Colgate going home, they play the same two teams, Lafayette and Holy Cross the bottom of the barrel of the Patriot League. So basically now, after losing the Army, we not only lose the Star Wags, but we're in a really, really tough spot here where the women might not even make the Patriot League tournament, which is, in in the era of Karen Gabera, for me, not even something you think about. So obviously, we're coming off of the 2-0 loss for Navy men's soccer. Now Navy women's soccer has the same result. A little head-scratching, Wags? Well, it's really disappointing, John. When I saw that result, I was really bummed out because I thought for sure the Navy would beat Army in women's soccer. And it's the same thing we've been talking about, inability to score. you got to score some goals. And, you know, the report in sports information said they were unable to build the offense. I know Karen likes to build the attack, and then that's kind of the whole style of play for Navy women's soccer, and it's just not – happening this season i don't know why we may have to get karen on to talk about it but it's a terribly disappointing loss now scott strassmeyer sent out updated standings and it had navy women i believe at in the it barely in the tournament at the time being but um it said that six but colgate has a game in hand colgate still plays american midweek from like a postponement so oh i see I yeah see. They, they are in extremis wags they this is this is not hyperbole they are in a really really tough spot now well uh i'd have to do some research to find out the last time navy women's soccer didn't make the patriot league tournament but i guarantee you it's been a long time do you remember a time during when you were serving I as a no, I do not. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think that's ever been a thing, actually. No, not really. 
I, I owe a better level of uh, research here as a former O-Rep, but I, I do know it's now you have to beat Holy Cross. You have to beat Lafayette and you have to hope for some help. You have to hope for a lot of help, including maybe Loyola falling back to you. Loyola has got to play BU, um, which will drop them back to us. But then Loyola plays the same two teams. So we're we're in a we're in a tough spot. Um, we're in a really really tough spot, Wax. Well, the one thing that Scott Strassmeyer's email updating the standings said is that Navy can finish no higher than fourth. So you're on the road, no matter what. If you make the tournament, you're on the road. That's the bottom line there. Yeah. Well, Wags, we'll see what happens going forward here. Let's hope that Karen and the ladies turn it around. I'll tell you what didn't need any turning around was Navy men's and women's cross country over the weekend on Saturday, both won stars by beating Army. Let's start with the women, led by junior Emily Booten. The Navy women's cross country team placed seven runners in the top 10 to post a 26-33 victory over Army in the star meet. That was huge. With the win, the mids improved to 23-14 and 14 all-time in the women's cross-country series, and Navy has won nine of the last 12 meetings. Placing in the top seven was Elizabeth Sullivan, who came on this podcast, uh, and M- Mia Claire Kiesel, who is going to come on the podcast this coming week to talk about that. I'll let you talk a little bit more about the men but I'll tell you what, these were two much-needed stars, particularly after Navy women's soccer and men's soccer dropped theirs. This was not looking like last year, but two huge results from cross-country. Well, first of all, with the women, John, actually you missed uh, Winter Bosey finished fifth. So uh, Sullivan and Bosey were fourth and fifth. And no, then- I just didn't know how to pronounce her name. So thank you. That's exactly <laughs> Winter Bosey. Perfect. I, I don't know that that's accurate, but that's what I feel like. I That's how it should be pronounced. Um, it's a gr- big week for Kim Lunas. And uh, I've known Mac Lunas, the whole Lunas family that owns Lunas Steakhouse for a long time. And when I interviewed Mac Lunas, who just went into the Anne Arundel County Sports Hall of Fame, he mentioned that his wife was a great runner for cross country and track and field at Cornell. And I did not put two and two together and realize that Kim Lunas is Mac Lunas's wife until last week. And I saw her at the banquet, and she had their brand new newborn baby. And I went up to say hello and introduced myself. And the first thing she said is, we got the star meet Saturday. And I said, I know, I'm wishing you the best of luck. And they got the job done. And she was so proud of the team. And it was a tremendous performance by the women for sure, John. Uh, Why don't you tell us who led the way with the men? Hats off to the men, Wags. I'll tell you what, their their top two finishes were seniors Garrison Clark and Brett Brady. Uh, they notched a 22-35 win over Army. This win improves their overall record to 53-31-1 all-time against the Black Knights. Someone's going to have to tell me how that tie happened. Uh, but it's the fourth consecutive victory for Navy in the series, so two huge Huge star match wins. Wags, let's change course, all right? Let's bookend the two cross-country results with soccer. We know the uh, women's result was not what we wanted. The men got a draw. It was a pretty thrilling 
uh, scenario. They they had a chance to score as time expired. Doama, uh, he was like right there. He had a point blank shot. A great save was made. Um, Zach Wagner had a goal. Um, Noah Ward had a goal. But Navy men's soccer was able to come out of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, with a pretty big draw. When when really a loss or a win was both on the table, men's soccer wags is sitting kind of where they want to be, right? Well, men's soccer is fourth in the standings at the moment uh, with nine points. They're actually tied with Boston, but I guess uh, Navy has the tiebreaker over Boston because they're listed fourth as opposed to Boston fifth. Um, Army is atop the table, then American, then Colgate, but Navy is solidly in the Patriot League tournament at the moment, John. Yeah, that's huge. They have three uh, matches remaining, including, well, then they have five matches altogether remaining, uh, three Patriot League matches. Let's talk about water polo really quick. They needed a big weekend. They went away to Mount St. Mary's and then continued on the bus up to Bucknell and you know, came away with kind of a mixed bag weekend. They lost to Mount St. Mary's. But then when they were tied 9-9 in southern, sudden death overtime, Louis Nicolau's team got a golden goal from Chris Kim, who had been out for a couple of games, and they got a 10-9 victory, a much-needed victory in the Mid-Atlantic Water Polo Conference over Bucknell. That was one of the teams that was over them in the standings. So BZ to them for getting a much-needed win. Uh, let's talk about a couple of other results Wags, or Chris Cervello for that matter, we need to talk about how the quietest story out there is the fact that Navy men's rugby remains undefeated. They were down early to Notre Dame College. They went out there to South Euclid, Ohio. They were trailing for the first time and then said, you know what, NBD, we're going to go ahead and come back. They now stand at 7-0 and overall after a big win. Lewis Gray. You know, doing what he does, and eventually, ladies and gentlemen, I promise we'll get him on the podcast. But Chris, I've got to ask you: Is this possibly the 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 least told great news story in Naval Academy sports right now? Because these guys are so good, and it's their first year. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. We've had friends that played rugby and and have you you know sort of talked to us about you know, elegant violence and and all of the tradition that goes into making Navy rugby so exciting. But given that they're seven and zero in their their first varsity year, uh, I, I think it is the the story of the fall right right now, maybe followed closely by the women's volleyball team and how hot they've been the last couple of weeks. I feel like I say it every pod, but get out there and watch them. If you're not a rugby fan, you will quickly become one. I agree with you, Chris, and you brought up Volleyball, unfortunately, the hottest team in sports, their winning streak came to an end. They uh, had to go up to Hamilton, New York. The mids came up there and they they lost a tough one in four sets. You know, they, they've just got to turn that around. And, and basically their next match is a chance to exact some revenge at home. And this is where I'm going to tell people to use your day on October 21st, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Navy Midshipmen Host Army at Wesley Brown Fieldhouse is a chance to exact some revenge 
perhaps looking past Colgate a little bit, which is hard to do because they're atop the standings with them. Look for them to turn it around against Army. Another result to bring you is the fact that the Fighting Murph McCarthy's, they had a tough trip up to Davenport. They lost. Uh, so let's look for them to turn that around as well. Uh, Chris, what else are we looking forward to this coming week? Well, I think we're going to have some great interviews um, for the Sing Second Sports podcast that will come out on Thursday. Look forward to hearing from uh, the cross-country folks about their big win over Army. Um, also interested in hearing from uh, Coach Ken and uh, you know some of the defensive coaches and players um, just to get their take on how they're you know turning the lessons from SMU uh, ho- hopefully into uh, successes uh, when we see them next week uh, against Houston. So you know no no rest for the weary. And Wags, uh, we've talked about you know the upcoming uh, chance for redemption against Army for volleyball. What else are you looking forward to this week? Well, I'll tell you, John, as being that I know sailing and have covered sailing for the Capitol for so long, uh, the McMillan Cup is coming up this weekend for offshore sailing. That is one of the most important collegiate regattas in the country, and it is incredibly important for Navy, which always hosts the McMillan Cup. So good luck to Coach John Tahansky and the offshore sailing team. Let's hope that Navy captures the McMillan Cup because it's very important to the program to do so. I hear you, Wags, and good luck to the sailors as they approach the coming weekend. All right, Chris and Wags, and what I'll say as we go out is that I had the pleasure on Saturday of being in Ackerson Tower uh, with the opportunity to say goodbye to Commander Carl Tamulevich. Uh, His funeral was Saturday. He had died, obviously, earlier on. Uh, this year uh, in late summer, and we all had the opportunity to say goodbye to Commander T. Um, and it was such, such a nice tribute. Uh, the likes of Admiral Mike Mullen gave speeches, as well as Karen Gabera, who came in via video because she was up at West Point preparing for the star match. Um, it was just a who's who of coaches present and coaches past administrators, admirals, athletes, midshipmen, uh, all people who loved Carl Tamulevich and what he meant to the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, It was a somber day. It was a sad day, but also a day, Chris and Wags, and I'll give you both an opportunity because you've had so many interactions with Commander T as well. It was such a great validation of what makes the Naval Academy wonderful. I've always called Commander T fundamentally good. Those were two words that were always true of him. I never had a bad thing to say about him. Um, He just took care of people. He took care of his alma mater. He loved the Navy. He loved his family. And to say goodbye to him was was a great, great honor for me. Wags, I know that you had the opportunity to be side by side with him for so long. I'll give you a final take on him as well. Carl Tamulevich was just a class act. There's no other way to say it. And there's very few people that have had as long an association with the Naval Academy as Carl. He was a fantastic two-sport athlete in football and lacrosse. And then he returned to his alma mater to serve as a, in a role with the athletic department and it, it, what a great run for a great man 
And no one ever said a bad word about Carol Tamiyalevich because you could, because he was just total class, total gentleman. I, I tell you what's really going to be hard for me, John, is when Navy lacrosse season rolls around. For as long as I've been covering Navy lacrosse, Carl Tamilevich has been up in that press box, rooting his heart out, getting angry when Navy did not play well. But he was a constant presence in that press box with me for Navy lacrosse games. And it's going to be a huge hole in my heart when I cover a Navy lacrosse game and don't have Carl there to talk to about the program, to check in with and to listen to him hooting and hollering and getting angry when Navy made a mistake and clapping and cheering when they scored a goal. That, that's going to be really hard for me, John. Chris Cervello, I'll give you the final word. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to add much more than that. I, I knew Commander Tamilevich from my you know first couple of days at the Naval Academy in uh, 1995. His son is a classmate of mine. And in my interactions at Ricketts, I would always see Commander T and then got to know him better uh, You know, years later uh, when I was in the fleet and would come back and play golf with you and he and Ward. And um, man, it's just, uh, it, it's the great thing about the Naval Academy, but it's also the, the hard thing about the Naval Academy is because you do get to know people so well and you get to know people like, Commander T, and when you uh, when you lose them, man, it really stings, and uh, it, it takes a long time to get over it, John. If ever, if ever, indeed, Chris. Um, well, this podcast is obviously dedicated to his memory and to his family. Thank you for everything you did for the Navy and the U.S. Naval Academy, Carl Samuelovich. We wish you fair winds and following seas for Bill Wagner and Chris Cervello and Eric Catani. I am John Schofield. We'll see you next week. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments.